Live ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Okay, welcome in to this edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. It is a Wednesday, October 4th edition of the show, and it's a bye week for East Carolina, but we're continuing on with our live coverage, of course, daily, 12 noon, here on 94.3 The Game, talking ECU football. As always, we're live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, slash X. If you got a comment a question or anything let us know and we'll get to it throughout the next hour because we got not only some ecu football talk but we're also going to talk some mlb playoffs because i can only dwell on ecu's early struggles for so much uh as bobby harward he's our regular wednesday guest he's brought to us by sup dogs and he's back in studio check out sup dogs of course downtown greenville 213 east fifth street tomorrow by the way <coughs> sup dogs live 5 to 6 p.m. on the ECU Sports Network that is streamed online, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, through the ECU Sports Network social media accounts. Holden Aylers will be joining us live from Subdogs along with some ECU student-athletes. So looking forward to that tomorrow at 5 o'clock on Thursday. But today we got Bobby in studio, and Bobby coming off a tough uh, tough loss to Rice. We were kind of joking before we got you in studio. We may have to talk some MLB playoffs today just so we don't just so we don't have too much pain. That was brutal. That was really <laughs> kind of unexpected. I mean, I know we've been struggling, but I always thought kind of like watching it was, you know, no way we lose the rice, no way we lose the rice. And there were so many opportunities. And then, of course, we end up losing the rice, which is unfortunate, disappointing. Yeah, all the above, every negative adjective you can think of. It's been tough. It's been a tough two days already. Uh, we we had the Monday show, the Monday reaction show. Philip and I ran, uh, we read multiple comments and ran through all those, um, many of which were negative. Tuesday we had Joe Sampson and we talked to him, went over a lot of the things, of course, we saw the issues. We also had the Mike Houston show on Monday, uh, live from Tiebreakers and Coach Houston was probably as, as dejected as I've seen him in some time. Cause look, I mean, you, you know the deal, Bobby, you've been on these staffs. You've, uh, you know, you, you were part of Ruffling Neal's staff. They also lost at Rice. Granted, that was year one. Skip Holtz lost to Rice. ECU now 0 and 3 all time at Rice. Maybe the Pirates just can't beat Rice, but either way, it's just been. Uh, but the, you know, I said this Monday. It's just frustrating because like nobody cares at Rice. Like I'm sure you saw the pictures. No yeah. one's there, and uh, to go down there and lose when you had so many chances makes it all the the more frustrating, right? Exactly. It's not like they were dominated, and you kind of knew early on uh, that. Uh, this game was going to get out of reach pretty quickly. Uh, I mean, we had so many opportunities, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and just could never capitalize. Then compounding that with the struggles for Mike Houston's sake being dejected, I mean, in a town like Greenville where ECU football runs things, I mean, that's all you hear noise-wise in the in the community. I am kind of curious how your Rice experience was uh you have any uh, interesting sightings of the band? The or band anything? was just as much as uh, yeah. I think they lived up to the hype. I was down the field taking pictures for the first half, and somebody came up to me and they're like, "What's up with the band having uh, ukuleles and like a bunch of old people?" And uh, Bobby and I, I, because of what Bobby told me, I could let them know <laughs> that they're not students; they're just random people off the streets. And it was uh, 
I don't know. It was it was unique. Uh, that's what I'll say. And, and th- I took a picture of their student section. It there may have been there may have been eighty students. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty it's pretty quiet, pretty and it's a big stadium it's too. Huge. It's it's that's what makes it. I, I mean, they probably have more people attend the high school games for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was just uh, qu- quite honestly a little embarrassing to be there and see the crowd. This new American team, but you know it. It, it is what it is, man. It, credit Rice, they made more plays on the field, and the whole area is nice. It's just nobody really cares about Rice football, which again makes it all the more frustrating. But did you see positives at all during the game? I mean, obviously the twenty four seventeen loss, and uh, we are going to, by the way, predict the rest of the schedule, which we'll do here in a little bit. Um, I know people are looking forward to that, but. <laughs> You know, did you see anything to grow from with this team, which is still young and learning? I know nobody wants to hear that, but did you see things to build on? Uh, defensively, yes. I, I think that was the most encouraging. I mean, they played great defensively throughout the game. Um, I think offensively, there were glimmers of hope in the past game, uh, but it, it just, again, wasn't consistent. You had, again, drop passes. Seven. Tons of pressure. And that, that's my thing too with the O line is just, there's, it's really bad up front right now. And that's, that's unfortunate. One thing I kind of try to watch too is, you know, after plays and stuff, what is the O line doing? What's the body language of players? And there's just numerous plays. I mean, I'm sure you, everyone sees it watching college football and NFL. When a play is coming to an end and a uh, receiver or running backs fighting for extra yardage, you see O-line fly in there and trying to push those guys forward, trying to get shots on people. And watching the end of plays with our offensive front, they're just kind of glad the play's over. And they're just kind of trotting down the field. They're not looking for somebody to hit. They're not, I mean, there was a specific, we're in the red zone, a third down play, I think maybe to chase Sewell. And, I mean, he's fighting for extra yardage, and our guys, O-line, is just standing there watching him. And to me, that's unacceptable. Those are things that should be corrected, especially this week and the bye week. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And Look, I've talked to a lot of people in this business, and uh, I think Alan Mogridge is a great offensive line coach. And I, I don't think he's got a ton of talent to work work with right now. I think it says a lot that the guy he brought in, Dustin Hall, is probably their best offensive lineman right now who came from South Florida. So like, I just don't – I don't think he's the problem. I think it's a talent problem right now. I, I agree with that. I, I met Coach Mo being previously in the industry, phenomenal person. He's, as a GA, you know, you write all these letters to full-time position coaches. Just try to, you know, let people remember your name, you know, and try to get your name out there as much as possible. I had met Coach Mo when he was at UCF through a previous connection, and he was one of the few full-time guys that writes back, and I thought that that meant a lot to me. I think he's a tremendous person, and I think he's a great football coach. He's had his numbers and, and track record proves that. I think to you, to your point, it, it kind of goes back to really the theme of what we've been talking about all year is the misses on the recruiting trail are starting to add up. And I know I've, there's been a rumor recently, and you've mentioned it, like was Coach Houston expecting to leave? After, no. I mean, look how great the defense is. Right. If he's expecting to leave, the they defense. They wouldn't have the guys on defense Right, have. exactly. So I think it just boils down to misses on the offensive side of the ball, and that's what's unfortunate is it's almost been every position group outside of running back. So, Yeah, I mean, and, uh, to, to me, and you know, I've talked to enough coaches and 
and players that say, look, the film doesn't lie. I mean, you know, we can sit up here and say, but I, I do go back and I, I rewatch the games, the key plays especially, and look at every position. And, like, the offensive line is just getting beat at the wrong time. You make the point, of course, that, uh, you know, they're not making those extra effort plays. And, and some of that is correctable, of course, you know, from that standpoint, definitely. So you hope that that's addressed. And when I was on the field for the game, nobody was coaching their position group harder than Coach Mogridge in between timeouts which is typical of an offensive line coach. But, uh, you know, to me it says it all when you've got a guy who's a redshirt freshman walk-on who is your top backup offensive tackle, Emmanuel Poku, had to play the last 20 snaps after Owen Murphy went down because he's your third best tackle right now, and he's a guy who was playing soccer three years ago, according to Coach Houston. So, like, I don't blame Emmanuel at all. I blame, you know, the situation that the, the team has put itself in by – missing on those offensive tackles. I mean, to me, that's that's part of the issue. So, I don't know, man. It's, it's frustrating. Um, we've talked about it a lot. But, you know, Alex Flynn, when he does make good throws, he's getting hit a lot of times, too. Like, he was pressured on 50% of the dropbacks. So, you know, as you head into this bye week, Bobby, as you kind of look at this thing from the outside in, is anything fixable offensively at this point? I mean, certainly there's some things that are. But if you're on this staff, like, where do you look at – to me, I say you got to get Javius Bond the ball more, first off. I mean, 24 snaps out of 88, not enough. Chase Sowell made some plays. Um, any other changes you're looking at making or trying to expand upon those? Yeah, I think you take collectively, you know, the first handful of games, you evaluate and see, okay, what do we do well? All right, let's build upon that. Let's build upon what we do well and master that. We don't need to have 100 different plays. We need to be really good at 10. And I think from a schematic standpoint, we know the O-line struggles. We need to get the ball out quick. We've seen success on drives when we're able to gain yards on first down and second down, and we're not in second and third long situations. So I think, in my opinion, seeing where they've had success, I think we see a little bit more open uh, look offensively in terms of spreading things out a little bit and just throwing quick game. Because that's also is a version of your run game as well. So I think you saw, you know, two birds with one stone type thing where you can kind of resolve the the run game issues. You can resolve the pass protection issues by throwing that quick game. Um, And then to your point, too, having Bond out there as well, he's the most electric player. He's the running back that is making the most out of nothing because he is so electric and has that quick twitch to him. So I think getting him the ball more, I mean – even watch it. There was a run. It was an inside zone run, but he bounces it outside outside of the tackle, and you know he the I believe it was the edge setter peeks inside, or excuse me, sets the edge. Javius gives a move inside, and he moves inside, and then Javius is able to take the edge. So the, just little things like that that he's able to do, utilizing his speed and his quick twitch. We saw Keith Mitchell do that countless times last year, turning inside zone to a play outside the tackle, and yeah, that was his longest run of the day. 39 yards. Grant Matthews says put Javius Bond in the slot already. I mean, my thing is if your running back is your strongest position, and it is, and most set most sets are obviously one back sets. You can have two back sets, of course, but it's not the you know the, the typical formation in most offenses now. So, yeah, put Javius in the slot if you're going to play Rajay this much. Get him on the field. It's not like your slot producer uh, receivers are producing a ton right now, anyways. So. Uh, he also says, I am the biggest Shane Calhoun fan, but the lack of protection from the O-line forces Calhoun to stick in there and block. I mean, that's a good point, too. 
especially when you're struggling to tackle, you got to have somebody chip, and that right. that hurts your ability to uh, you know send those guys out on passing patterns. Exactly, you're now only sending you know three guys out in the route combination rather than four, and if you're keeping you know that's if you're keeping the running back in. So, yeah, it just it causes a lot of issues when you can't protect, and that's unfortunate. And you know. I don't see a quick fix there either. Right. It's not like they're bringing in guys. Yeah, yeah, that's not the NFL. So I think they just have to do things that, are, you know, focus on things they do well and uh, just continue to improve on that, even if it means you're simplifying the offense even more. I think the unfortunate thing about it is, from my understanding, the offense is already pretty simplified considering the quarterback situation. Right. So <laughs> how much more simpler can you get? I don't know. We saw, look, Rice has a very bad offensive line, and I'm not saying ECU needs to implement everything Rice does, but uh, they just basically went empty the whole the whole second half, even when they were trying to run the clock out. And, yeah, it didn't work all the time, but they're trying to mask their issues by just throwing the ball all the time. And I'm not saying ECU needs to throw it 80% of the time or just go empty all the time, but, you know, JT Daniels has obviously had a lot of success doing what they're trying to do, and maybe you don't have that talent right now at quarterback. But there are ways to mask it to an extent, and right. that's something you have to look at, I think, during the bye. Absolutely. I think that's, too, you know, you mentioning how Rice adjusted. I think that's a frustrating thing as I was thinking watching that game and looking at, you know, the players that Rice was putting on the field. That's a That was a very Conference USA roster that very was out much there. So. ECU was more talented yeah. for most positions. Yeah, and they were bigger. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just, I mean, there was that one stuff we had, and the guy, uh, the little D-tackle, went out and celebrated. And I'm like, my gosh, he's 5'11". Yeah. <laughs> he's a big boy, though. Yeah, he, he is. He was, eating, he was eating ECU's offensive line alive yeah. for most of the game, which, yeah. All right, let's get our first <laughs> break in. Uh, we are going to... Uh, take our break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to make everybody feel better because we're going to predict the rest of the schedule, the final seven games. East Carolina, of course, sitting at one and four, but I'm going to tell you guys right now, there is a path still to bowl eligibility. I don't know if I fully believe it, but I'm going to lay it out for you, and we are going to make our actual picks for the second half of the year. Spoiler alert, my seven and five prediction very much from the preseason hangs in the balance. So we'll be right back. We will make those picks. We're also going to talk some Major League Baseball playoffs, discuss some NFL as well, look around college football over the next hour. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? All right, welcome back into the show on a Wednesday, October 4th edition of Hoist the Colors. Bobby Harward is in studio. Philip Pilkington is producing, and we're going to make some picks here shortly. We're also going to make some MLB playoff picks a little later as uh, the wild card weekend has gotten underway, and uh, we'll look into that here as Texas, the Rangers, take a one nothing lead in their series, Minnesota, Arizona, and Philly all victorious, but we'll get into that conversation in a little bit. All right, Philip Pilkington is producing. We're going to bring him on for this segment, and we got Bobby in studio. So ECU sits at one and four. It's the bye week. This will be a lot more fun to do if ECU is four and one. We all predicted, at least me, Joseph Sampson, and Philip Pilkington all had East Carolina going seven and five this season in the preseason. And um, Philip, our predictions are not looking so hot. Did y'all both have three and two at this point? Yeah, we did. Yes, because I had Marshall as a win and Rice as a win. Same. So we're two games behind. Yeah. 
So, I mean, theoretically, not that far off, but pretty far off. <laughs> so, um, and we'll get into this conversation a little bit about is there still a path for easy to make a bowl game. So, you're one and four. You got to go five and two the rest of the way to make a bowl. And I'm, I'm looking at the schedule like, for me, I don't see a game really that's not winnable outside of maybe at UTSA versus Tulane. And I know everybody's screaming at their radio right now or their their computer saying, we just lost to Rice. But ECU should have won the game. Like It's not like they got dominated. So uh, Charlotte, ECU will be favored. Tulsa, ECU will probably be favored. FAU, Navy, ECU, as of right now, probably a small dog in both of those games. So that's four possible wins. I'm not saying they are wins, possible wins. That would get you to five, theoretically. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can beat SMU at home, and crazier things have happened with UTSA and Tulane. So my point is, Bobby, there are winnable games on the schedule. The, the problem is you got to go win them. It, them just being winnable doesn't mean you're going to going to win them. So like, as we saw against Rice, that was a winnable game. ECU lost. Marshall was a winnable game. ECU lost. So my point is, like, there are games left that the Pirates can win. Not all hope is lost. Maybe a lot of it is, according to some. But uh, I don't know. Am I making a decent argument? You're you're making a good sales pitch, for sure. And that's probably exactly what the staff is doing in the locker room right now. Um, it's hard to see the path to a bowl game right. looking at it based upon what we've seen the first five games. Because, uh, honestly, too, App State hasn't looked very good the last yeah. – I mean – they, they almost lost to Monroe, right? Right, yeah. And then they did lose to Wyoming. Now, granted, that's a tough matchup yeah. in terms of traveling out there and whatnot. But, yeah, I mean, Charlotte, to me, is probably the most sure thing that's on the schedule. And then Tulsa's the next sure thing. That Both of those are at home. I think if you have FAU and Navy at home, maybe that's a little different animal. But, yeah, Navy just always concerns me based upon their style of play. Right. FAU, I feel better about because of their quarterback situation, but that yeah, I still don't feel great about that game. Honestly, um, I mean, it is hard to feel great about any. Yeah, game, but, but I, I think SMU's overrated. They're always overrated yeah. to me, and I if we had a better team offensively, I I feel like we could run the table. But what we've seen so far, I just don't I don't see it. I mean, that's the thing. This defense is good enough to where you can win games if you just get average production from your offense. So. I don't know. Let's get into it. Uh, Philip Pilkins is going to join us here, making some picks as well. And uh, I'll let Bobby start it. All right, so SMU, Thursday night, shorter bye week. They are 3-2 and two right now. They beat Louisiana Tech 38-14. They beat Prairie View A&M in a barn burner 69-0. Nice. Uh, Charlotte, they defeated 34-16. And then they lost at TCU 34-17, lost at Oklahoma 28-11. So, Solid team this year. They've actually been better defensively than offensively. They are 0-2 on the road. Granted, tough road games, but they are coming to Greenville. Start it off, Bob. Loss. Loss. I don't think there's – it would make me feel better if they were yeah. kind of their traditional really good offensively, struggle defensively, but because defense seems to be their strong suit. Which is weird to say. Right. It, I mean – I just I don't see a way we put up points. I I really don't. I'm not I'm trying not to be super negative, but I just am trying to also be real and right now offensively we're not good and they are pretty good defensively, so I'm going to go SMU. Philip, what are you thinking on this Thursday night game? This is the chance for ECU to 
to turn the season around. The fact that they do struggle a little bit offensively makes me feel a little better. They definitely haven't been the same team with the departure of Tanner Mordecai, and I think if this team would have played last year's SMU team, no way we hang with them on a point side of things. I think in order for Ishii to win, definitely going to have to have the under hit here, but still, I just don't see him kind of you know going off what Bobby said. I don't see if where these offensive points are coming from on the Pirates. I think it will be pretty low scoring, but I don't know if the Pirates will have enough offense to get it done. Much anomalyvers. I'm going Pirates, Night of the Boneyard, new black unis. Bob, you know better than anybody. Black unis, Pirates usually play well. Yeah. Yep. And, and uh, so they, well that, you know, the administration gets mad sometimes that you won't stop wearing the black. That's a, that's, that could be a problem that, <laughs> that maybe that readmits itself this year. But ECU wins in the black. Against SMU, I have heard there are some superstitious people around this program right now. They might not stop wearing the black. Bring out the gold helmets. That resolves all. Yeah, they, gold helmets with black black go. jerseys. I mean, yeah. maybe that, that resolves all. White helmets, by the way, still uh, the curse lives on outside of the throwbacks. So maybe they need to burn those for real. I'm going to win here. I don't know what it is, guys. I just have a feeling about this game that the Pirates will respond I think SMU will honestly take ECU kind of lightly. And, you know, you look at the game as a 1-4 and four record, and I just feel like this is the game if you do that, ECU is going to come out with his hair on fire. Probably going to have to get some turnovers. Preston Stone, young quarterback for SMU, maybe that happens on a night like this. And Pirates, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say they win a, win a close one, low-scoring game. All right, Charlotte, October 21st. If you lose the SMU game, you're going to this contest at one and five. If you win, you're at two and four. Uh, Charlotte, I think, is better than what we thought they would be. They've kind of, you know, they've hung, they hung with SMU, they hung with Maryland, I believe, they uh, hung with Florida a little bit. So they're not bad. They've had a tough schedule, but I'm going to win here. I think ECU uh, picks up another one, back-to-back home wins to get the three and four, Bobby. This is cut-off sleeve night, right? This is cut-off sleeve night. Okay. And also, if Charlotte wins, we all have to wear a uh, cut-off sleeve into the studio for the, the whole week to follow. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, I, I also am going ECU win. Uh, I think it's going to be very low scoring. I think, Charlotte, to your point, referencing those scores against uh, Power 5 competition is pretty good defensively. So I'm going to go 17-13. Pirates. Barn burner. They have quarterback issues as well. They're playing too. Uh, Philip. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Charlotte does look better than they have, or than we, you know, we thought they were going to look. They but, are. Um, they are not who we thought they were. Yeah. But um, they're going to be coming, coming off a tough game against Navy at home. Uh, teams always seem to play a little worse the week after they play Navy. Uh, I think they're still a little stunned. This will be obviously their first shot at Navy since joining the American. And uh, Pirates back-to-back weeks at home. A little bit of a long week, a little extra rest. I got the Pirates. All right, so we're all on ECU. Look for Charlotte to win that game. Uh, I'm trying to figure out if Frank Harris, is, is he playing or not? He's also got his eyes closed in his so the thing is, I was because I was looking it up during the last commercial break. There were some reports from a week ago that were calling him day to day. So obviously, this is still four weeks out. If you, you know, if you he's got the turf toe, right? Yeah. So it's it's tough. I've heard that's an injury. I had a friend who had it in high school that lasts longer than you would think. But I would guess if they're already calling him day to day, you'd think four weeks from now he would be good to go. But I, yeah, I don't know. So I mean, to me that. That has a lot to do with this game because he's probably one of the best players in the conference when healthy. And I think they may have had a 
A week off, yeah. So they had a week off after getting routed by Tennessee. They go to Temple this week. You know, to me, I just I think this is going to be a tough game. I know UTSA has struggled, but I'm going with uh, I'm going with UTSA at home, and I'm not even going to try to talk myself into an EC win here, uh, Bobby. Yeah, UTSA. I think uh, this week they're playing Temple. I believe mm-hmm. that is Kurt Warner's son versus Josh McNown's son. If I am this recalling correctly, thing? I think so. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Former NFL quarterback child battle, I guess, going on there, and but uh, that'll be a that'll be a good one. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I yeah, if Frank Harris plays, no chance. Um, I think uh, if Frank Harris does not play, I, I, again, I, I just always go back to it. how are we scoring how you points? Score. Yeah. yeah, so UTSA, Phil. Yeah, exactly what he said. I think we do stand a good chance if he doesn't play. If I would have to guess, with something like Turf Toe, he's been out already a few weeks. He should be back and. Uh, yeah, it's going to be rough. Because even with our defense, he's at least putting up 24, 28, so loss. Uh, Robert Dedrick on YouTube says, absolutely do not want ECU to lose to Charlotte more than any other game. I, yeah, we talked about it last week. I don't think ECU fans would be able to, to digest that. I mean, losing to Rice is one thing, but if you lose to Charlotte at home, it's gonna, I, there's going to be a lot of problems. I think we'll see someone fired if that yeah. happens. I mean, that is uh, it's a difficult <laughs> it's a difficult scenario. To digest. All right, so you guys have ECU at this point one and two out of the bye, making them two and six overall. I've got them at two and one, winning both home games to get to three and five, but losing to UTSA to uh, you know to be three and five. All right, Tulane at home. I think Tulane right now is the best team in the league, and I think ECU will be very motivated for this game. But I just think Tulane is that much better. So I'm going uh, Green Wave at home. This puts ECU on the brink of elimination for a bowl eligibility for me at three and six with three games left. I'm I'm assuming you guys might have the Pirates eliminated for bowl eligibility here against Tulane, Bobby. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> <laughs> to put it kindly, uh, Tulane, and that's it. Yeah, Philip. Yeah, the Pirates have struggled against Michael Pratt. Even go back to that 2021 game. Tulane still put up 29 points in that game, and that was when he played the whole season with a bum shoulder, and they were 2-10. and 10. And a lot of the bigger reason they were 2-10 and 10 is because of lack of offense. We've really struggled against Pratt. Yeah, as of now, he's healthy, and uh, I, th- I don't even see this one being close. Green wave. When's uh, Mardi Gras? Is that, uh, that's oh, yeah. The, uh, uh, Mardi Gras is in the spring because yeah, it's, it's right so. before Lent starts, so 40 days before uh um, All right, New Orleans Easter. expert over here. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I mean, your only hope, in my opinion, is if they just get a little just too party. crazy on Mardi Gras. And, yeah, that's yeah. no, not so fair. Willie Fritz not like not letting Michael Pratt leave the hotel, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. Um, J- Johnny Robertson, by the way, our stat guy, trying to give us a little bit of hope here. He says, hopefully the Pirates can take advantage of the pass coverage deficiencies of UTSA and Tulsa. According to Pro Football Focus, their roadrunners are last, 133 and Tulsa is 127th in defending the pass. What was Rice out of curiosity? Weren't they pretty bad? They were too? pretty bad yeah. too. They were near the bottom. Yeah, so, uh, I mean those are good points. And if we can, you know, improve the passing game, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Uh, UTSA. I mean, obviously, worst is worst, but you know they have played some quarterbacks. They have played some dudes. I mean, when you look, they've played JT Daniels. Um, crap, I'm I'm drawing a blank. Played on Tennessee. Games. They Tennessee. played Milton. Yeah. 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 So they, they've played some. They've played some tough quarterbacks. Yeah, and I I do expect them to get better throughout the year. And, and the other thing too is, look, ECU historically has gotten better throughout the year under Mike Houston, which is factoring into my picks because I have them winning at FAU. Uh, second year in a row, the Pirates are going to go to Boca. They're going to be confident. 
because they rolled South Florida and Boca last year after the hurricane. And I think ECU gets it done. I think it's been, it's going to be a tough year for Tom Herman, especially after losing quarterback uh, Thompson. And I, I think the Pirates get it here to keep their bowl hopes alive and go to four and six. Phil, I'm going to pass to you. Uh, Stephen, do you mind looking up FAU's uh, schedule yeah, yeah. for me? Oh, okay. Um, I, I like this, Bob. You're doing the research here, it's, trying hey, to cop out. Making but, blind picks. Yeah. Right. Hey, it's the same thing you do to me and Joe on Friday, so it's all good. I, I'm going to go Pirates on this one. I, I I have a good feeling about this game. All right. So FAU is one and three. They also had a bye. I guess a lot of teams had a bye this past week. Uh, they beat Monmouth 42-20. They lost to Ohio 17-10. Ohio's just a solid team. They lost at Clemson 48-14, and they lost at Illinois 23-17 in a competitive game. Uh, ahead of ECU, they have back-to-back road games at Charlotte, at UAB, and then they host ECU on November 11th. Yeah, I'm going to go loss. I'm going to go FAU win. Uh, and the reason being, I think, and I think the schedule or the record uh, score, excuse me, shows that against Illinois – um, that, that backup quarterback may seem to be getting some things going and giving them a chance. They may have figured out a style of play that works for them. And then, you know, they, it, it doesn't seem like they have too challenging of a conference schedule. So they yeah. could have some momentum, uh, going into the game with, with Charlotte and UAB right before us. So coming back home, uh, that's my reason. I think this is probably the, the toughest game to pick that's remaining, right. but because we're on the road, I'm going to give FAU the advantage. So you have the Pirates falling to two and eight with this loss, I believe. That's I've got correct. them at four and six. And Philip, you had it as a win. Yeah, that is a win. So I got us at three and seven right three now. Three and seven. All right. Uh, Daniel Richardson, by the way, is their new quarterback. He was the Central Michigan quarterback last year, so they do still have a guy who has played. Because um, I remember they brought in him from Central Michigan. They brought in the kid, the Thompson kid from Nebraska. So they at least have another guy to go to. Now, if he gets hurt before the ECU game, then maybe you'll, you'll maybe I would change. But I mean, what a what a thought getting a quarterback from the portal. Two quarterbacks. <laughs> Two, yeah. Uh, Pirates uh, then go to Navy, November eighteenth. This is already set as a twelve noon kickoff on an ESPN network. I'm gonna just assume it's gonna be ESPNU because uh, I don't think it's quite worthy of ESPN or ESPN two. And uh, the midshipmen, it'll be their senior day. The Pirates, we know their issues with Navy. This is a big game for me because I got them at four and six. But unfortunately, I think this is when it comes crashing down. I think winning back-to-back road games is tough. Uh, I think Navy will be in a similar situation to ECU where they're trying to keep their season alive. They're playing for a lot on senior day. I'm going Navy wins. Pirates drop to four and seven. Bobby, I kind of I think I know where you're going here, but yeah, uh, I, I think just Navy's too too tough for us. I mean, it, they kind of have scores. our number. Yeah, it, it's it's not a good. Yeah, I, I think what it makes it makes it interesting. Excuse me, is Navy their offense? You know, they're still running triple option stuff, but it looks a little different now with the new coaching more staff. Spread, yeah. yeah, it's more spread triple. Um, so that will be intriguing to watch from a fan perspective. Uh, but it also can cause some issues, too, with all the motion and stuff they do. So we're going to have to be sound. And being that we, you know, are prone to give up some big plays and, and just, again, our lack of firepower offensively, I'm going to go Navy. Phillip? Uh, I think the ECU offense comes alive. Last second field goal, 38-35. If you're getting a trend here, those are ECU's only two wins ever against Navy. 
or 38-35 on a last-second field goal in Annapolis. It happens for a third time. Give me the Pirates. Love it. All right, so he's got ECU beating Navy and getting to four and seven. And I'm getting our predictions mixed up. I think we both have ECU at four and seven we do, now. Yeah. Bobby's got him at two and nine. Oof. Uh, Michael Jones on YouTube says, I goes trying real hard to put lipstick on this pig. And he also says, Bobby is out here predicting Greenville burning to the ground. <laughs> I mean, look, four and seven, two and nine, neither one's good. Uh, but. I that still, listener really thinks they're going three and eight. By the way, hammered in for yeah. that guy three and eight. Yeah, he's he's on both sides here. Um, he's not sure which side to, to pick himself. Um, I so then you go, then you got Tulsa at home, either Friday November twenty fourth or Saturday November twenty fifth. It's going to be a not so great crowd. It never is, even when ECU's good. And so uh, Thanksgiving weekend is a tough weekend, uh, but I think ECU gets this done at home. Tulsa, I don't think, is a great team. I don't know what they'll be playing for at this point. I don't know if you want me to pull up their schedule. Oh. No, I'm good. The ECU will win this one. Okay. Yeah. So three this, and nine. This is a win, according to Bobby. Three and nine. Shades of Scotty Montgomery. I'm going five and seven. And, Philip, how are you wrapping this thing up? Uh, we need some revenge on Tulsa after the way we've played in the last sure. few times, especially after that crap game in 2020 with the Hopefully stupid officials. The this is a revenge game. Pirates. So five and seven is what Philip and I have ECU finishing as, and I mean I would say that's an optimistic look right now, which kind of shows you how hard it is to get to a bowl game. Bobby going with the you know realistic, somewhat pessimistic view, <laughs> but also very real too. I mean the problem is when you start one and four, you just leave yourself with no margin for error. So, and the results are what they are at this point. Exactly. I see you know three and nine. Hopefully, is a worst case scenario. I guess technically I could see a two and ten, but you know really. Five and seven, in my opinion, is the best they can get to. I think FAU truly is a toss-up game. If you win FAU, maybe that changes the outcome of the Navy game. But, again, where's your sixth win? Is it right. UTSA? Is it Tulane? Is it SMU? You would have to upset SMU. I mean, to me, that the, the only reason, and I went with the win over SMU, I think that's the only, obviously the only way you can even, like, fathom a bowl is upsetting SMU and then kind of reset and get momentum you got another winnable game against Charlotte, and then at that point you have momentum going to UTSA. Of course, the, you know the, the team at this point is at the point where they just got to have a good practice today and like improve. Otherwise, none of this is possible. Like, I mean, they got to evaluate what they're doing and make some changes. I think. So. Agreed. And the other thing I, I've been thinking on this, and this may be like just fan thought and whatnot, but I wanted to bounce it off of you. Is you know, technically Flynn has another year after this. Yeah. But it's also well known he wants to go to medical school. So if you get to the point where you're no longer making a bowl game, you know, you lose that seventh game, do you have a sit-down conversation with Alex and say, hey, are you coming back next year or not? And if you aren't, maybe you ride with Mason. Again, how realistic is that? You know, I I, I would venture to bet on rough staff we probably would not do that. We would have an idea, you know, whether he's coming back or not. But And just, just give Mason more reps in practice maybe. But, yeah. I think you got to have that conversation because for me, if you if you're not bowl eligible this year, you have to at least know 100. percent Do we have the the quarterback or not on our roster? Because then at that point, the whole off season is finding the quarterback. Like really, I mean, right. because like you you know we talked about it. Obviously, if you have this defense and you get a quarterback and you get an offense, you can be I think pretty good overnight. But 
if you still go into the offseason not knowing whether or not Mason's the guy, then I think that's a failure by everybody involved because at this point we should know, and we definitely should know by the end of the year. So, And, and I think Flynn is a serviceable quarterback and can be a good quarterback on a team with a lot of pieces around him. And right now, I just don't think ECU is that. So, I mean, if I'm the staff, I'm honestly thinking about having that conversation now about at what point do we turn it over to Mason and just let it ride and know for sure is he the guy or is he not? I mean, that's not at that point. At some point, you got to know. And I think that some people have written Mason off. I haven't. I still think the jury's out. But unless he plays more, we won't know for sure. Yeah, and I th- I was waiting the whole Rice game for Mason to come in for a drive. I mean, we did not look great consecutive series, and I was like, what are what are we waiting for? Right. Um. And yeah. I think that conversation does need to be had now that we, you've kind of laid it out there. Yeah, it's just you have to know. And, uh, you know, at the end of the year, are we doing a a show on transfer portal QBs and who Probably we go so. after? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a very real possibility right now. And, of course, I mean, maybe Flynn stays the guy and they come out of the bye week and he lights up SMU and, you know, maybe he'll get a shot to lead ECU to a bowl game. And at that point, uh, you know, I think if Flynn knows he's a starter going into next year, he would probably come back and play. But a lot has to be proven for that to take case or to take place, I should say. So, who knows? Still, so still things to play for. It's not like we're we're over here like talking about a football team. The season's dead. Nothing to nothing to do. Well, and the good thing is basketball's right around the corner. Basketball this is, is the year. Yep, uh, November sixth. So we are about a month away. All right, and speaking of things around the corner, the Baltimore Orioles will be playing playoff baseball this weekend. And we're going to make some MLB playoff picks. We're going to talk some MLB next. Uh, we, we talked a lot of ECU football. I know this is hoist of colors, but we just gave you our predictions. We talked quarterback. We're going to transition to more, more positive things now, potentially, if the Orioles take care of business. All right, we're talking uh, bay- gosh, playoff baseball next on hoist of colors, if I can get the words out. We'll be right back with another segment with Bobby and Philip. We'll talk to you then. This is ECU head football coach Mike Houston, and you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back to the show on this Wednesday, October 4th edition of Hoist the Colors. We've talked a lot of ECU football, so I want to talk some more positive things currently, and we've got MLB playoffs going on, and... um, I love, obviously, postseason sports, but to me, as a baseball fan, it doesn't get much better than playoff baseball, especially the, the wild card weekend, or I guess the wild card week. I keep saying wild card weekend. I'm used to saying NFL, and uh, last year, the wild card thing was on the weekend. This year, it's in the middle of the week. And by the way, how about the Rays having like 19,000 people show up to their game? That's, That's embarrassing. That's sad. Yeah. So I was texting a Rays fan. He, he of course was making the excuse that it's Tuesday at 3 o'clock. But I'm like, come on, man. It's, it's the, playoffs. the playoffs. You, you, make a, you take off work. It's yeah. the playoffs. No excuses. I agree. So we'll make some uh, we'll make some picks here as, on this as well. Might as well have some fun. But let's first kind of discuss just the, the playoffs overall. The Baltimore Orioles are the number one seed in the American League. Bobby is an Orioles fan. And really they kind of go from a scenario of worst to first in many ways in the span of a few years they almost made it last year and then have pretty much exceeded expectations i I think you know they had a timeline for this rebuild slash turnaround i don't think anybody expected them to be as good as they were this year what 101 wins yeah i was waiting the whole year for them to fall off the wagon honestly and it just never happened they on it their pitching improved throughout the year which is shocking 
because uh, I, I did not feel great going into the playoffs until the last month or so when our, our pitching really stepped up. Still got questions with the bullpen, but just the prospects they have coming up, the infield guy, I mean, it's so much. Uh, the, Jackson Holiday is the number one prospect in baseball and was the, uh, I guess, most impressive prospect or whatever they, they give the award for in all of baseball. So they, they got that down the pipeline as well. And to tie this into ECU, Connor Norby has had a phenomenal finish to his season. And, you know, the Norfolk Todd had a, a great year. As somebody who kind of follows their organization, there's not really room for him right now. So, like, wh- what do you see the scenario for Connor Norby? Like, is he basically a trade trip at this point? I that, think so. Unfortunately, it, it kind of sucks because, you know, they got Gunnar Henderson right now and, and they got Jordan Westberg, who are both rookies that they pulled up this year and played in the middle infield. Like I said, they got Jackson Holiday uh, in the pipeline. They have another guy, Joey Ortiz, who's the top 100 prospect, who's technically in front of Connor as well. So I think, and not even mentioning Colby Mayo, who's a third baseman they have. So they're just so stocked on the infield. I think we'll see a trade for him probably this offseason so the Orioles can stock up on some more frontline starters. But unfortunately, as an ECU guy, I wish he would he would crack. I mean, he played great in AAA all season, um, and unfortunately, just I think it hurts he's not on the 40-man as well. Yeah, 290 batting average, 21 homers, 92 RBI, 10 stolen bases, you know, 842 OPS. Like, there's not much more he could have done. I mean, he did strike out a decent amount, but he also walked and hits for power, so that kind of offsets each other. And I mean, as the as a Mariners fan, with the Mariners not having a second baseman, I would have no problem with them shipping a pitching prospect or a pitcher to Baltimore for Connor Norby to be the second baseman of the future. Um, so I think that kind of hurts him too, as he's really been exclusively a second right. baseman. I, I do believe they played him some in left field, maybe in Norfolk, but just to see what he could do out there. But yeah. Uh, that would be fun for you if they. I, I'd be for that trade too with the frontline starters y'all have. Yeah, because Seattle's deep on pitching, not so much on position players. So, a possible trade we're working out. Uh, maybe more of an off-season discussion as well. All right, so the Orioles get the winner of the Rays and the Rangers. The Astros also have a first-round bye. They end up winning the AL West thanks to the Mariners beating the Rangers on the last day of the season, as well as the Astros sweeping the Diamondbacks, who are in on the NL. The, the Astros will play the winner of the Blue Jays and Twins. The Twins won yesterday. They're up one nothing. The Rays lost to the Rangers, so the Rangers are up one nothing. Uh, let's make some AL picks first, and we'll look at the NL. You know, we kind of have a head start because we know that the Twins and, and Rangers are up one nothing. Who's your picks in those wild card matchups? Do you see it continuing that way? Yeah, I think kind of being able to cheat, I probably would have yesterday predicted the Blue Jays, but seeing the Twins won and knowing the starting pitching they have, I'll, I'll think the, take the Twins there against that series. And I was going to have Texas. I think Texas is stout. So Texas beating uh, Tampa. So that that leaves the DS of Houston and Toronto and Baltimore and Texas Rangers. How do you feel about a potential Orioles-Rangers matchup? Do you like that uh, in five, if the Orioles you know, have to win three to advance? I do. It's going to be interesting. They uh, Looking back at the season series, they split three and three, so it's pretty evenly matched. I think it kind of like most playoff baseball does come down to pitching, which I actually like our matchup right there. Uh, they got, I know, Jordan Montgomery's been throwing well for Texas. Um, Dan Dunning. Dooning, however you pronounce that. Mm-hmm. Dane Dunning. Yeah, and I think they have another, uh, Avaldi, Nathan yep. Avaldi. So He's still today. Yeah, so I think Orioles do have the advantage not playing this weekend and being able to save their frontline guys for the first two games. Um, so we'll see. But 
I'm optimistic. And the Astros will take on the Twins or the Blue Jays. I mean, to me, I, I feel like the Astros' experience is going to reign supreme there no matter who they face. That's my thing looking at the whole AL is a lot of those teams outside of Tampa, there's really no experience in the playoffs. So you got Tampa and you got Houston. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. I think Houston just with the experience. Uh, uh, Twins may have better pitching, but, yeah, I'm going to take experience and the home field advantage there in Houston. So if it ends up being uh, Orioles, Astros will take a break here after this, and then we'll make pick and L picks. Um, what's your confidence level? Do you feel like the Orioles can beat the Strohs in a seven-game series, or is it, is it going to be tough to beat the Strohs? You know, we looked pretty good against them uh, the last last series we played against them towards the end of the season, I think the second to last week. Um, but, again, I just revert back to that playoff experience. There's a lot of pressure for those pitchers. Um Coming in there, and especially the relief pitching right now for the Orioles is kind of a mess. I'm glad we've had the week off to to recharge, but just yeah, I think experience um, overall. I'm going to go Houston. I'm going Orioles. Love it. Orioles to the World Series. All right, we'll take our we'll take a break. We'll make our NL picks on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors. We'll be right back. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. One ninety four three. The game. All right, welcome back into the show. Bobby Harward is here. We're racing through our playoff picks for Major League Baseball. We just did the AL. Now let's take a quick look at the NL. Got about a minute and a half left in the show. The Dodgers and the Braves, they are on a first-round bye. Of course, many Braves fans around here. They await the Phillies-Marlins winner. Phillies up 1-0. Jeff Hoffman, ECU product, pitching in last night's game, getting the final out of the eighth. And then the Brewers drop game one to the Diamondbacks. Any, either of these teams outside of the Phillies for the obvious pick, could you see anybody in the wild card making a run? Originally, I thought the Brewers until last night. I would have probably picked them because they have some pretty stout pitching. They have three uh, top guys in Peralta, Woodruff, and um, Burns, excuse me. But after them losing last night to the D-backs, I don't see it. I think it's Atlanta's uh, from the NL. The Phillies, we were talking about in the break, like a lot of teams last year that played on wild card weekend kind of carry that momentum, and then you have teams that sit around for three, four, five days, kind of struggle in that initial game. So how much of that could be a factor for these teams like the Dodgers and Braves maybe getting bit in that that regard? It seems like they're learning from it. You know, They're doing some inter-squad scrimmages and opening it up to the fans, which is pretty cool from a fan perspective if you live in the Atlanta area. And I think Baltimore's doing the same thing, so they're trying to copy that. Uh, we'll see how it looks this year with that experiment. I guess it's more data to, to pull from in terms of do the inner squads make a difference. Right, because, yeah, I mean, you do kind of sit around and you can lose time and momentum, that sort of stuff. So it'll be interesting. I know a lot of Braves fans don't want to see the Phillies after what happened last year. It looks like it's heading down that path, so it should be interesting. And then we'll see if anybody can knock off the Dodgers or the Braves. But, yeah, Braves – Astros, probably the betting favorites. I hope that we see a little bit of diversity in there, maybe some Orioles and uh, a different team from the NL. But we'll see what happens. We'll continue to talk postseason baseball. Bobby, thanks for being here today, man. Best of luck to your Orioles. Appreciate it. All right, he's Bobby Harward. Thanks to Philip for producing. Tomorrow we are going to talk some ECU basketball. We've got Cy Seymour coming on the program. We're also going to talk, of course, more Pirate football with Mark Yellock as well. He'll join us as well. All right, we'll be back tomorrow at 12 noon on Thursday. This is Voice the Colors.
This has been Hoist the Collars with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Collars on 943 the game.